0: Hello, and welcome to episode number 111 of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. My name is Zach Diamond, and I am a middle school digital music teacher in Washington, D.C., and of course, I'm a Modern Classrooms implementer and a Modern Classrooms mentor. And I'm joined today by Afton Dean, who taught high school media production at Lynn Classical High School in Massachusetts, and that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. So I'm very excited to talk to someone. Uh... A kindred spirit, someone who teaches creative topics like arts, media production, music. I'm I'm very into these conversations. Afton is now an assistant principal at Revere High School, and also a distinguished Modern Classrooms educator and a Modern Classrooms mentor. Welcome, Afton, to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Zach. I really look forward to tonight, and I appreciate you having me on the podcast.
0: Appreciate you joining me. Um, I guess before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, I know you've you just told me you've recently changed roles. So that's interesting. But tell me about how you know what you taught, where you taught your school and how you came to MCP, how you started your MCP journey.
1: Sure. So I previously taught at Lynn Classical High School, and I taught an elective course, media production. And for all of the listeners out there, Lynn Classical High School is just north of Boston uh, and located in Massachusetts. Uh, Like many of you, I had to make some adjustments to my practice during the COVID-19 pandemic. And during the 2019-2020 school year, I experimented with instructional videos to meet the needs of students in both remote and hybrid learning. The following school year during 2020, 2021, is when things really took off for me. Um, I slowly implemented uh specific pieces of the modern classroom uh and before you know it it was a full modern classroom and a big part of my success in you know getting the, the model up and running in my classroom was the support that I received from my district uh, going through each stage of professional development with the free course, which I recommend all listeners out there uh, to check out. Uh, then I went into my mentorship before moving on to earn my credentials as a distinguished modern classroom educator and now uh, currently in the role of mentor, uh, which has been a, an extremely rewarding experience for me.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. I love the plug for the free course. The free course is really good. Uh, it's it's always linked in our show notes. So listeners, if you're interested in checking out the free course, if you haven't been through the mentorship program, um, definitely worth checking out. And you know, it's it's interesting. That's a very, I think, a very common story for people coming to modern classrooms during the pandemic. I mean, we saw modern classrooms grow a lot during the pandemic, so it's not a surprise that people who are becoming DMCEs now and becoming mentors uh, are part of that story, right? Like. Uh, It was sort of one of the answers, and certainly I I was implementing before the pandemic, and I've talked about this on the podcast, like it, it made the transition so much less difficult. I won't say easier, because it wasn't easy, but it made it so much less difficult. Um, And it it did give me some of the solutions, some of the answers. So definitely agree with you there. And I think it's interesting that that's uh, a very common path into the into the modern classrooms world. Um, So Let's get started talking about media production. You you mentioned that you taught media production. I would like for you to describe a little bit what that actually is. You know, media production, I feel like it's a very specific, like, niche subject to be teaching in a school. It might I, I might be wrong about this, but it seems like a majority of students do not have that class. But in the world that we live in, media is all over the place, right? Like YouTube, podcasts, like this one. uh videos, radio, everything, you know, like, we're in a very media heavy world. And so I think that's an important skill set for kids to have both to be like, able to create media and also to be media literate, right? So I guess I'm just curious to hear you describe like what this class actually is like what the kids are doing before we start talking about the modern classrooms aspect of it.
1: Absolutely. And I have to start off by saying I get this question a lot as media production is not necessarily your household name when it comes to uh, courses in a high school course catalog. Yeah. Uh, I'm very fortunate to be in in a situation to teach an elective course, uh, providing opportunities for students outside of the core curriculum. And it's it's generally a course that falls under the umbrella of applied technology. Uh, It does in my district. And I know in some neighboring districts, you know, it falls under different categories, but ultimately, uh, media production provides an opportunity for students to acquire, uh, foundational skills around operating basic, basic camera equipment, uh, before applying those skills in practical scenarios, uh, and project based formats. Um, I will mention one of my favorite, uh, student projects is an as a newscast where students actually collaborate and carry out a mock newscast so it is very hands-on um there's a lot of application of camera equipment and it tends to be one of the the students favorites when it comes to uh, electives um and they do get a lot of uh, exposure again outside of the core curriculum and a lot of opportunities that they might not always come across uh in their major subjects
0: Yeah, that's that's really cool. I mean, so is it predominantly video?
1: It's predominantly video and students are continuously going through pre-production, production, production, post-production. And as you mentioned, um, students are being exposed to a lot of things that they're typically, um, you know, typically have become a main part of their life, whether it's, um, you know, social media topics, uh, stuff that they see on, you know, tv you know we, we're watching videos we're consuming videos pretty much everywhere
0: yeah and i think it's cool that like that's why i was thinking about the media literacy side of things like just being on the other side of the camera you know and like being on the production side of those videos i i do it i produce videos now and it's like i see when i'm watching videos i see them in a different way did, 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 did your students find that or did you teach that way
1: you know, I would say that students leave my classroom with a different mindset when it comes to the art of video creation. And in a lot of cases, you know, their favorite YouTubers, their favorite uh, movies, they're kind of able to look at it through the lens of, wow, there's a lot of work that goes into this. There's a lot of thought that goes into it. Yeah. And ultimately, there's a lot of – there's a process behind it. And I think it really does enlighten them to – to how they consume media on an everyday basis. And they're kind of able to, to reflect on the processes that actually go into what they're consuming.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's really valuable. I think that's unless they're specifically planning on going into media production, like that's probably one of the biggest things that they come away from your course with, right, is that that mindset of how to how to consume media in a, in a more sort of like enlightened way.
1: Absolutely. And one of the biggest takeaways that I tell all my students is, you know, you might not be someone interested in being the next news anchor on a major news channel, but you are likely somebody who consumes media on an everyday basis. Right. And this class can really give you skills or at least provide you with some knowledge of how these things are put together and and what you're consuming on an everyday basis.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, like, they're in there, like, filming and editing and, and, like, storyboarding or planning out scripts and things like that. Is that what the class sort of consists of?
1: You are absolutely spot on in how you articulated that. Um, so pre-production, students are storyboarding, uh, putting together their ideas for a production. Uh, production time, students, lights, camera, action. The cameras come out and students are put into production roles to make it all come full circle. And then post-production, which is one of my favorites, uh, video editing. And that's where we go back. And uh, I think it really – students have a new appreci- appreciation for – the final product of, of, a, of a task when they go through the editing process and they're like, wow, we can really enhance this based on, you know, using a few tools and uh, we use different tools like Final Cut Pro, um, Adobe, uh, and it, it really is a neat process to see the students go through each step of the way and, and be in a collaborative format. Um, and I think it's a rewarding experience for them as well because they, they end up doing things that they never knew they could do. Uh, and they also leave the class with, with new skills that I think help them across the curriculum.
0: Yeah, this is so cool. This is such a cool class for the first time. I just put final cut pro in the, in the show notes for this podcast, which, uh, is the, the, the app that I use to edit my videos. And I've always been afraid to do that, but anyway, um, great. That's, that's awesome. I promise we'll get to the modern classroom stuff in a second, but I just want to ask you one more question. You mentioned that it's a project-based class. So like that newscast project, for example, like the students, like they, they, what what's the project consist of? Like how is it project-based?
1: So students are put into production teams and, you know, there's some students that might not want to be on camera and they might be more inclined to want to play like the camera roll or audio, or they might want to direct the show. But ultimately every student... Uh, then, you know, finds a role that they're comfortable with. Um, we have different categories of news. So we might have entertainment, sports, general news, world news, and students are able to compile uh, different stories from the actual uh, news. Right, and, and, you know, students communicate, collaborate in their teams, and they put together their production skills. Um, and it, it really is a nice product at the end. Um, and I, I, you know, I have some exemplars. I wish I could show them on the podcast, but uh, of course this is just audio. Um, but it it is project based in the sense that students go through the process of writing the stories, uh, collecting information, uh, in terms of what, what's their driving force for the stories. What are their topics? Um, they go through practice runs where they have to work in teams and communicate and collaborate. And then they go into post-production, uh, before they actually, um, finalize their show.
0: That is awesome. Yeah, it's just awesome. I uh, I always, um, we watch, so my homeroom, I have an eighth grade homeroom and every morning we watch CNN 10 and I always talk to them about the production of CNN 10 because it's like, uh, it's pretty polished, you know, it's kind of silly and it's for kids, but uh, it's pretty polished and they put one together every single day. It's like a very fast turnaround, you know, getting the news stories, filming the stuff, putting together the interviews, all that stuff. I think it would be very cool to like be on the other side and make something like that a newscast and like understand the incredible amount of work that goes into making something like that and then to turn it around every single day. I just I don't know, just occurred to me because we watch it every morning, so it's always in my head. Anyway, let's talk about modern classrooms. That's why we're here. Um, I guess the best transition from talking about sort of the day to day of your class is to ask you what your mastery checks look like? And I say that that's a transition because I feel like the mastery checks are sort of the things that students in a project-based class are building towards as they work day to day. So you'll correct me if I'm wrong about that. But I guess the real question here is, you know, what do your mastery checks look like in that kind of a class, in a modern classroom of media production?
1: So the modern classroom, I just want to mention, has been a really a staple in focusing on mastery skills that are essential to student success in my course. Um, basically, at the end of each lesson, uh, I utilize a mastery check to ensure students have mastered the meat of the lesson and the skill that they need to be successful in moving forward with. If it's a, if it's a project-based unit or if it's just a skill-based unit, whatever it is, at the end of each lesson, students need that one skill, um, or piece of information to move forward. Um, for example, as I mentioned, one of my favorite units is the broadcast journalism unit where students work to create a newscast, um, for example, in Lesson 1 of this unit, students must identify the different types of news stories uh, that are present in a newscast. So there's different types of news stories that students don't realize. You know, it, all the stories look the same. For any any viewer out there, it all looks like, you know, a story is a story, but there are different kinds. So basically, they watch different stories. They have to label that type of story. Um, it's interactive but meaningful and it really ensures that students have the foundational knowledge to be successful. And I also, I think it's important to note that I leverage a mastery check rubric. This helps me provide both timely and meaning feed, meaningful feedback to students. And not to mention, um, this has really helped me avoid grade gradebook burnout, uh, as I call it. Uh, and something I've current coined early on uh, during my time with the modern classroom. Um, I really focus now on grading the most important items while allowing students to engage in low-stakes practice that's intentional. Yeah. And what I think is really important for our listeners out there is through mastery checks and the practice that leads up to mastery checks, students realize that it's okay to make mistakes in the activities that lead up to the mastery check and this is teaching at its finest right students need to make mistakes before they fully acquire a skill or lesson objective and they shouldn't be penalized for that
0: oh absolutely yeah and that's that's why we let them revise right like we want them to make those mistakes because when they make mistakes that's our opportunity to see what they need from us you know
1: right and i i would say that the mastery checks again whether it's a skill based unit or working toward a final product each lesson is is geared toward, OK, what is the takeaway? What do they need to move on in the project or what, what skill do they need to move on to develop a specific skill set?
0: Yeah. So so like what is the actual format of that mastery check? Like, I guess the one you mentioned might be it could it just be like a written one where they identify them or do they have to create one or something like what's uh, what's the mastery check look like?
1: So my, the listeners may not be surprised. I do teach a media production class, so I do try to use, leverage technology at all points in time. Um, <laughs> normally, if it's a concept, I will utilize my learning management, management system, Schoology. Um, I'm able to integrate the rubric there and it allows me to grade it instantly. Uh, and students again can obtain timely and meaningful feedback. Um, according to the rubric. Um, If it is a skill-based lesson, um, students would do an actual demonstration. Um, For example, I'll take you to unit one um, in my intro to media production course where students have to set up a tripod. Um, And what they'll do is they'll actually do a demonstration either live um, or through a platform called Flipgrid. Okay. And again... The, the, the main purpose is that students take the skill or concept that they need to move forward onto the next lesson and, and have that to be a progression moving forward.
0: Right. And I love that. It's like setting up a tripod. It seems so basic, but it really is fundamental. And if they can't do it, you don't want them to move on. Like you don't want them putting up a camera on a tripod that's going to fall over.
1: I think that's a great point. So especially when it's really sequential, right? You can't yeah. you can't start recording with a with a video camera if you don't have a tripod. You can't record with a video camera if you don't know how to turn it on. So the Modern Classroom has really fit into my course. And a lot of people are surprised at first. They're like, how do you make a media production class work with uh, the Modern Classroom? And I think my class speaks volumes to the fact that the Modern Classroom is flexible and really can fit any content area.
0: Yeah, and I I, I have answered similar questions. I feel like in a music class, it's like, The practice people think about musicians practicing all the time. It's like part of being a musician, and it makes perfect sense. Like nobody would expect a musician to show up at at a concert and just know everything, right? And if they did, they well, they wouldn't, and so they would play terribly, and they'd be fired. Like it's it's not how being a musician works. It actually fits perfectly with the model of learning because it's like you practice and practice until you get it, and you don't move on until you get it, right? You revise. You work on the passages that are hard for you. And it's the same here. I'm I'm curious, like in in more advanced mastery checks later in the year when they're actually like filming stuff, are the mastery checks aspects of the final project or of the final product or are they demonstrating something and then moving on to do the product or the project afterwards?
1: Absolutely. That's a great question. Um, I'll give you an example from one of my advanced level courses, um, media production two. It's a level two class. In the sense that it comes after the introductory course, uh, but students create commercial advertisements. So
0: <laughs> I do a, I do a project like that too. I actually have my students make a radio commercial. Oh,
1: I, we need to collaborate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so in the initial lesson, students the mastery checks are aimed at you know learning marketing terms so that they can then create a, a commercial advertisement. But some of the the later mastery checks that are aimed toward that final product are at each stage, basically. Uh, Working toward that final product, so you know, lesson three might be creating a a commercial advertisement uh, approach. Like, what is your you know your persuasion approach, and are you using it correctly? Um, The next mastery check, lesson four, might be um, how to create a you know, what's your opening shot going to look like? What's your attention grabber going to look like? And it has to meet a certain guideline. And, you know, again, it really I would say this in in my project based class, the mastery checks in those project based units really focus on each stage of the project. So then at the end of the unit, we put it all together and it really does have a nice sequential uh, pattern to it.
0: Yeah, I I think sometimes I use the word benchmark to describe my mastery checks because it's really it's more like. Did you successfully do something like I'm actually looking at the work you did on your project and I want to make sure that you did the thing right as opposed to whether or not they mastered it? Because sometimes there are just so many different ways that it can be done. Like if if in, you know, in this example, right, if they're making a commercial, one of the mastery checks is to write the script and submit the script. The script is the mastery check. Right. But there are so many different possibilities. Each kid writes their own script. And so it's really just a benchmark. I look at it and I say, does this meet the requirements? Yes, you can move on. It's not that you mastered script writing. It's just that this meets the requirements and you're able to now begin recording because the script is good to go.
1: I think that's a great point, And it really does lend itself to the creative nature of the course and the different tasks that, that come uh, along with the course.
0: Yeah, you have to give that creative leeway, right? Like you have to, it has to be open-ended because it's creative. It has to, there's not a right answer. There's not like one correct script. There's not one correct shot in your example. You know, it's like the students designed this and you want them to do it in a way that meets certain, you know, or within certain parameters, but we, we need to give them the leeway to do it themselves, right? As long as we know what the parameters are, they have a lot of flexibility. Um, okay. So let's talk about some other aspects of modern classrooms besides mastery checks, um, I'm particularly curious and more so now that we've been talking a little bit and I feel like we're kind of on the same wavelength with regards to our, our classes and our approach to these classes. But, um, I want to ask you about your approach to creating instructional videos because I'm wondering if your expertise in the area of media production kind of bleeds over into that workflow, like your video production workflow for your class. Like I, I certainly feel like in my case, you know, the content that I teach definitely involves digital production, specifically audio. And I, you know, I record voiceovers using logic and I do all this stuff that is very much audio production for my class. Uh, I work hard on that because I enjoy doing that. I know a lot of teachers don't, and that's also fine. I'm not trying to convince anybody to become like professional audio engineers or anything like that, but I like to. And I also feel like because my class is a digital audio class, it kind of models That for them in a very meta way, like I'm not teaching them the stuff that I'm doing because it's way above their heads. Um, But, you know, it definitely like it's this weird sort of synergy between what I teach and how I teach it because I produce digital uh, media for them. So I'm curious to hear about your approach to instructional videos in your modern classroom being a media production teacher.
1: I almost feel like I'm, I'm held to a higher standard as a media production <laughs> teacher that my videos have to be, you know, that next level.
0: You mean, you mean by your students? We,
1: exactly. I, I think they hold me to a high standard. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I would say my background in media without question has definitely enhanced my approach in creating instructional videos. Um, it's been definitely fun because I'm able to apply a lot of the skills that I teach um, and make it come full circle in, in the instructional um part of the course. Um, At the same time, I try to get creative. So normally, I typically create a PowerPoint that utilizes best practices. Uh, I then utilize a Mac-based application called Loom uh, for screen recording. And I also prioritize scaffolds for my English learners. And I think this is really important for our listeners out there in the sense that we need to prioritize making our videos um, accessible for all learners um, and, you know, something as simple as closed captioning in Spanish, um, visuals on my presentation, those small adjustments can have a big return when it means reaching, uh, you know, large populations of students uh, that need additional layers of scaffolds. Um, I would say the secret to my repertoire has been Nearpod, uh, which is one of my favorite applications. Um, it allows me to make my instructional video a little bit more interactive with activities that reinforce the learning. Um, I know there are some great tools out there. Uh, Edpuzzle is a fan favorite. Uh, but for me, I'd say Nearpod adds another layer of engagement for my students.
0: Yeah, that's how you like put in embedded questions and things, right?
1: Yeah, so I will embed questions. I will embed uh, ch- uh, you know, formative activities uh, there's, it's, it's a very interactive platform and I encourage anyone listening out there, uh, to check it out. And it can really, again, add another layer of engagement for students and, and students, you know, based on their feedback, they really enjoy learning, uh, when I, you know, place my videos in that platform. And, uh, it really, it, it keeps them focused. It, it keeps them on their toes. And I think it, again, adds, uh, more dynamic to the instructional presentation.
0: Yeah, no, Nearpod is fantastic. I've done a, a lot of like sort of like product research into all of these because I've put together tutorials for Modern Classrooms on different things. I, I also, I should mention, I made the Modern Classroom subtitling tutorial and you mentioned the accessibility piece there, which is 100% true. And so listeners, I'll link that in the show notes. Um, you also mentioned Edpuzzle, which is the the platform that I use to embed questions in my videos. Uh I don't know. I just I have all my stuff in Edpuzzle. I feel like both are very good alternatives, um, but definitely the embedded questions. They make a huge difference. Um, I I, I like to use embedded questions that are actually really, really easy. I feel like I might have talked about this before on the podcast, but like I don't quiz my students in Edpuzzle. Do you like how, how what sorts of questions do you ask in your instructional videos?
1: So I like to keep it pretty basic. When when there's opportunities for, you know, if I want them to just retain something, I do try to sway on the side of higher order questions that really make them think about what they're uh, processing in the instructional process. But a lot of times it will be just a simple check for understanding. Um, again, they range, as I mentioned. Um, But I think this speaks volumes. You know, you mentioned you have a repertoire with Ed Puzzle. Um, you know, just, it takes time to build that repertoire. Like we have different routines and I think everyone out there will find their routine with the modern classroom, but it's really a trial and error. Like initially I was using Edpuzzle a lot. Um, I was using Screencastify, but then I, you know, evolved my approach based on what I, you know, what worked for me. And I think what works for one person might not work for the next person. And you, you have to develop that, uh, you know, routine over time.
0: Absolutely. Right. I agree. Um, cool listeners we are going to take a short break and when we come back i'm going to ask afton a couple more questions about her modern classroom and then some other things but we'll be right back in just a minute Hey listeners, here are our weekly announcements. We have a Q&A session on Tuesday, October 25th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Join us for a quick 30-minute session to go over any and hopefully every question you have. The registration link is on the show notes. Our Facebook group moderators and expert mentors Sarah, Monty, and Tavia are releasing quick teacher hack videos monthly in our Facebook group, so definitely check all of those out. The link to the Facebook group will be in the show notes as well. We also have a listener survey that we're planning on sending out so that Zach and I can do better by you. Look out for that link as well. All right, folks, we are back. I'm here with Afton to talk about media production. Uh, We spent a lot of time talking about, well, your class in general, but also mastery checks and instructional videos. And I want to ask you now about self-pacing. I would be remiss to not ask you about the third pillar of Modern Classrooms the self-paced aspect of a modern classroom, which we have sort of touched on a little bit uh, with that revision piece, the project-based, you know, letting kids make mistakes, all that kind of stuff. But tell me about the self-pacing that you ran in your modern classroom. You know, what kind of tracker did you use? Uh, How often were there sort of like benchmarks and and fresh starts for students? How long were your units? Tell me about self-pacing in your media production class.
1: So I want to first start off by saying... uh students really appreciate the self pacing part of the model. And for me, if I know students have a passion for editing, I may allot them more time to work on that part of a project or that part of a, a unit. Um, so ma- basically, I found that voice and choice is critical in meeting students on their journey of learning, while also helping them, you know, really maximize student success with that approach. Um, I would say self pacing as a whole, uh, has allowed me to meet the needs of all students, specifically through lesson classification. And this is something I really want to stress tonight is ultimately all students get what they need. And we, we all have students out there, right? Who are moving ahead of everyone else. Then there's some who need a little bit slower pace. And I really think that the self pacing strategies through lesson classification really change the dynamic of how a class works. And we know, again, we have, a range of students in a differentiated classroom and to meet all their needs with one approach simply doesn't work. And I feel like the self-pacing model has helped me solve that puzzle uh, while also giving students a chance to empower themselves in the learning process. And as we all know, it's been a crazy couple of years with the pandemic, you know, reaching different populations, you know, our chronically absent students. Self-pacing has really transformed my ability to help them maximize their potential uh, when they're missing large chunks of uh, critical instructional time. So I think it's it's important in the sense that, you know, looking at it as self-pacing gives everyone the key uh, to to success on their journey of learning. In terms of the length of deadlines and all of that, I, I usually will post uh, deadlines for each unit. Um, and I like to utilize... The the soft zeros in my grade book. And I tell you why, it it really does motivate students that may get a little bit complacent in the self paced model, but it also allows me to kind of set some expectations and hold students accountable for their work. So, soft zeros have definitely been my go to when it comes to, you know, posting deadlines of when students should have, you know, X, Y, and Z done by. Um, And then also just having students, you know, have have a sense of accountability that we are, you know, we need to get through unit one by a certain date. And it allows us to stay on pace with the curriculum as well.
0: Yeah. All of that is great. Uh, I, I love that you mentioned the lesson classification, which I always, I, I love getting opportunities to say this, but like lesson classification, the aspire to do, the should do, the must do, it doesn't feel like it should be related to self-pacing until you run a self-paced class and realize like, my, my learners who are working more slowly through this unit need to not do the aspire-to-do's. That's why the aspire-to-do's are there, to make time for them to work on the must-do's that they need more time for. Like, it makes sense when you are when you start teaching that way. And so thank you for bringing that up. I think also, like, uh, one of the things that you said was that you let students spend more time editing, if that's what they want, and, and maybe... You know, some other students might want to spend more time doing something else. Like, I, I know that when I have students make that commercial, some of them want to spend more time writing the script and really like perfecting the idea before they get into the recording studio or onto the mic, depending on what classroom I'm in, uh, to actually produce it or edit it. And it's like, yeah, you know, different students have different interests in this project. I think it's actually one of the reasons why. You know, we were talking before about answering questions from people who are like, how does modern classrooms work in a creative class like this? That's the answer. It's like some kids want to do one thing and some kids want to do another thing. Both things are necessary for the project to work. And in a self-paced class, it's okay for one kid to kind of quickly go over something that they're not super into, but spend a lot more time than we sort of plan for them to on something that they really are into. You know, I plan more or less one day per lesson. That's my pace that I sort of set when I say that something is on pace, right? It's one lesson per day, sometimes sometimes more, but generally that's my pace. But some kids might spend like three days writing the lyrics to their song because they want really amazing lyrics. And it's like self-pacing is not just for kids who may fall behind. It's like self-pacing is that some kids want to perfect something, you know, they want to really work on something or maybe in a more traditional subject like a math or a science class, they, they need that time to grapple with the concept. And so it's like, it's it's real learning that happens when you let kids focus on what matters most to them and spend the time that they need to really learn it. So I appreciate you mentioning that.
1: And I, I ultimately think when it is in play and you see it all come together, it's really, it's a thing of beauty, you know, and I always refer back to the modern classroom at times, it looks like organized chaos and, At times, that organized chaos means it's working.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because the kids are doing different things. I feel like when we imagine a perfectly ordered classroom, it's like everyone is doing lesson four today and lesson four is, is editing, right? And all the kids are sitting there editing. But that might not be the case. Right. You know, even if they were, some kids might want to like re-record their voiceover or some kids might want in my class, like re-record the piano part. So like kids are just doing different things because these are projects. They're creative projects. They're not going to all have the same outcome. So they wouldn't all have the same process.
1: Right. And and I just want to stress to all of our listeners out there that, you know, whether you're fully implementing right now, you're thinking about implementing self-paced really does provide the answer to meet the needs of all your students. As we know, student A is different from student B. Every student is different. And, you know, we have those students that work really quickly and we, we need to find ways to challenge them. And, you know, the aspire to do activities are a great way to do that. And we also have students that might need more time to master the the main part of a lesson. And and I think, you know, as we move forward and we're finding out more about how students um, learn and we're evolving our classrooms. We, you know, the answer is to we, we have to continue to adapt and we have to continue to adjust. And, you know, old forms of teaching are not the answer to to meet the needs of 21st century learners. And there's something for everyone in a self paced classroom. And, and every student really walks away uh, and gets what they need to be successful.
0: You're absolutely right. I mean, I, I, it just, I thought it was very cool the way that you framed it, like the, It's very common for us to frame it in that sense, right? Like, this is about accessibility. It's about differentiation. It's about getting the kids what they need. And it's all true. It's all absolutely 100% true. But I think it's also a really cool mindset and sort of like frame to think of it as a way to give the students the time to work on the aspects that resonate with them and spend less time on the aspects that aren't so interesting to them. Because when we work professionally in a creative field... Even teaching, you know, like different teachers are into different parts of teaching. And and so like for a student to be working on a project, I don't feel like it's authentic to force them to to put an equal amount of effort and time into every aspect when they really want to perfect one aspect. It's their project. And so I I thought it was just very cool for you to frame it that way.
1: Absolutely. And, And as we know, students stay the course they put in the effort when we meet them on their journey of learning, and we we're able to give them voice and choice in what they're doing in, in the class on an everyday basis. And it's also a great way to leverage um, an assets based approach, right, working to the strengths of our students working to the interests to our students. And when we talk about equity in classrooms, um, this is definitely a way to to also reinforce that as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. To, to get kind of more kind of granular or specific, what kind of tracker did you use? I guess like very modern classrooms here, but like what kind of pacing tracker did you use?
1: So I use a, a public pacing tracker. Um, I've found that it's real. It's a really great way to motivate students. And it's also a really great way for students to, to have that natural motivation to stay on task. You know, if they know that they are, you know, if I have student A, B, and C who are working on pace, and there's, you know, only a couple students that are behind, it's going to give them a little bit of motivation to start working at a, at a faster pace. So I I know some educators like to, you know, sway away from the public pacing tracker. Um, it can be intimidating for some students that might be working at a slower pace, but I think at the end of the day, it really is a great motivational tactic for students um and for me it's been great to be able to find a way to start classes um you know at the beginning of a class being able to show students where they are and and also show them you know what the stages of the learning process look like uh, from start to finish in a unit
0: totally i think that putting up the tracker that shows the entire unit it really helps to sort of contextualize where we are right now and i like i like uh as time kind of moves along students get to see like where they are in terms of the progression of the unit. So totally, totally. It's a great motivator, a public tracker. If it's something that you're, you're willing to try out. I know, I know, as you mentioned, some teachers are apprehensive about public trackers. I I do use a public tracker and I would definitely echo everything that you said. Um, okay. So we've sort of talked about fielding these questions from people like, how do you teach modern classrooms or how do you teach media production in a, in a self-paced modern classroom? Right. Um, in a sort of response to that type of question, what is one piece of advice or like a tip or something that maybe you wish you'd known that you would tell someone who is wondering that but wants to implement modern classrooms in their you know, media production or project-based art class or something along the lines of a creative class like this uh, where those questions would become relevant, right? What's a piece of advice you'd give to that teacher who's curious but uh, a little bit worried about how modern classrooms would work in that kind of class?
1: I think that's a great question. And and ultimately, I think my biggest piece of advice is the modern classroom can be a gradual implementation process, meaning you can implement different pieces, you don't have to go from zero to 60 in a day, a week, or even a month. It can happen over time, and you want to really know your audience, meaning knowing your your students that are in front of you, and, and let it happen naturally. Let it happen to their their strengths and in their tendencies. Um, a second piece of advice is it gets a lot easier uh, after the initial front loading of units. I know it can be very overwhelming at, at first as you're front loading units with you know practice, instructional videos, mastery checks. Um, and everything else that comes with the modern classroom, the, the progress tracker. Um, but ultimately, as you move through that initial, you know, implementation stage, you, you're able to recycle those units over time and, and make small adjustments. Um, and, you know, as we're just making small adjustments over time and we've done that initial front loading, it really helps you embrace a growth mindset as an educator And uh, again, I think the modern classroom really lends itself well to to that mindset to to continue growing. Um, But teaching, it's a game of adjustments, as I always say. You know, every every day is different. Every day is an opportunity to get better. Um, But don't let the initial front loading um, overwhelm you or um, discourage you from implementing.
0: That's 100% right. I mean, the the front load is kind of big, but I can say... Now having done this, this is my fourth year teaching uh, or implementing modern classrooms. And man, it's so great. Like most of my videos are made. And you know what I'm doing in my planning periods? I'm reaching out to parents and guardians. I'm, you know, I'm keeping track of where students are. I'm grading more, uh, more thoroughly and I'm looking more closely and I'm going into students projects to listen to them more. It's like, you know, the students, (laughs) they really don't care. About the videos, I know we talked about like being held to a higher standard because it's it's our thing, right? But like the students need to get the content out of the video, and that's what matters. The video gives them the content they need, and even if there are little mistakes, uh, even if there are things that were relevant last year that may not be relevant this year, I'll still repeat that to give me the time to like dive deep on student data. And so getting past that front load has been just amazing because now like I'm actually spending my time teaching. I love making videos, don't get me wrong. But like I'm looking at student projects, I'm reaching out. It's just like it's just so great to have more time to do that and it's definitely worth it. <laughs> definitely worth getting over that initial hump.
1: And yeah, we could definitely focus on the important stuff, like you said, the the art of teaching, looking at data, and making adjustments to our practice uh, to meet the needs of students. And I love the the video comment that you made. Uh, I would remember in twenty nineteen twenty twenty when I made my first instructional video. I probably made that video maybe 20 times, 25 times. I'm not exaggerating (laughs) because I thought there was a perfect video. But I I guess this would be another piece of advice for anybody that's implementing uh, the Modern Classroom. Don't be afraid to make mistakes in your videos. There's no perfect video. Uh, I learned that as I moved through implementation. Um, The more natural it is, the more that your students appreciate it. And you might recognize a mistake, but in all honesty, students don't recognize it. They're not going to pick up on it.
0: No, no, the students, they don't care. <laughs> they just don't care. Like, I think that, like, it's important to keep an open mind, right? Because sometimes the students will tell you things that, that are actual flaws in your video. And that's when you take a note and say, like, I'm going to re-record this video for next year because it wasn't clear, right? It, I, I actually didn't teach the the skill very well. So I want to refine my thinking on that, try it again. Or, or like, if every single student gets a mastery check wrong, you know, okay. The video may have a problem, but I think just for the for as a general proposition, students they get what they need from the videos, and and that's that.
1: And I, and I also think it goes back to the fact that you know students appreciate you in your natural setting. They don't want to see a robot. They want to see they want to see you, and things might happen. Um, you know, you might be. In, in the building and a bell goes off as you're, you know, on your prep and recording your video. Well, that, you know, it's part of the natural environment. And I think, again, students uh, appreciate uh, the more natural side of you. Uh, be yourself. It's just like having an audience in front of you. And as you're making your instructional videos, almost visualize that you have a group of students in front of you. That always helps me kind of bring that energy uh, and bring that interactive mentality uh, to, to, the, to the video screen.
0: Totally, totally. I like to think of the instructional video or I like to think of a modern classroom when I'm when I'm recording the video. It's like it's as if I was teaching to a perfectly attentive and silent group of of students. Right. Except that's not realistic. So like I clone myself by video, but like it's just teaching. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Great tips. All of these are great tips. Also, that, that gradual implementation thing is one that we hear a lot and is definitely also a great tip. It doesn't have to be overwhelming. Um, although I do ag- agree, as I said, it's great to get over that initial hump of, uh, you know, becoming okay with making instructional videos, having sort of a repertoire of instructional videos and then having more free time <laughs> to be a better teacher. But yeah, yeah, like gradually implementing is another tip that we hear a lot. So that's that's great. Um, Afton, this has just been incredible. I, I appreciate having you on so much. I feel like we've been sort of talking about this, but our classes are very similar. So it's really cool to talk to someone uh, who has like a very similar sensibility about uh, teaching this kind of stuff. Um, Afton, how can our listeners connect with you if they'd like to know, know a little bit more about how you approached media production and how you approach modern classrooms?
1: Thank you for having me tonight. It's been an absolute pleasure and I've really enjoyed, uh, getting to talk more about the modern classroom with our listeners out there and, and also, uh, talking a little bit more about how the modern classroom is working for, for my class and, and how it's worked for you and, and some of the similarities, uh, in our practices. Listeners, if you would like to connect with me, uh, you can send me an email at afton.dean at modernclassrooms.org and I'm hoping that you can provide a link Uh, in the box below, Zach.
0: Yep, I will have that in the show notes. And yeah, I agree. I was telling you off, we were talking off mic, and I was telling Afton, like, our classes are actually very similar. Uh, And so it was just a very, very cool conversation to have. Um, We deviated from the script a little bit. But this has been fantastic. So thank you again, Afton. Listeners, remember, you can always email us at podcast at modernclassrooms.org. And you can find the show notes for this episode at podcast.modernclassrooms.org slash 111. We will have this episode's recap and transcript uploaded to the Modern Classrooms blog on Friday. So be sure to check there or check back here in the show notes for this episode if you'd like to access those. Thank you all for listening. Have a great week and we will be back next Sunday. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast.